Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast, a podcast for brain injury survivors by brain injury survivors, providing resources and camaraderie for anyone recovering from any type of brain injury. Welcome back to the Making Headway Podcast. Once again, you're stuck with just me, Erin, um, but it's not just me today. Um, for our series on relationships, I have with me Tymeek and Rachel Hawkins. Um, Tymeek is a brain injury survivor. And Rachel is his amazing plus one forever. Um, she, I can't wait to hear more about her. Um, she sounds like she's such a rock um, for his recovery. Um, you've probably listened to a few episodes this month already and have gotten the gist that we are talking about brain injury and relationships, um, just getting people's stories. Because, you know, I think it's, it's really hard for the survivor to get through brain injury but in some ways it's even harder for our loved ones and our caregivers and the people taking care of us because um, everything just changes so, so quickly. So it can really be a lot. So um, I'm welcoming today Tymeek and Rachel, like I said. Um, Tymeek, just so you guys all know, is now an author. Um, he has the book Becoming the Light, Navigating Darkness After a Stroke. Um, so we'll have those links in the show notes. Um and he's active on socials and whatnot, so you'll be able to see him all over the place. But let me turn the mic over to them and get an idea of uh, how you join this community. Welcome, guys. Thanks for Hi. having us. Yeah, anytime. Um, so we might as well just jump right in. Um, Tymeek or Rachel, whoever wants to start telling the story. How did you join this community, this club that all of us are in and didn't want to be a part of? Uh, yeah, um, so I joined the club on June 5th of 2019. Um, so it was, we were set to have our engagement photo shoot. Well, we had it that day. Uh, but, um, that day I woke up preparing for, for the photo shoot, went to the bank and something weird just happened on the way back where I just felt weird, felt off. Um, and I had a hair appointment. I remember telling her I didn't feel comfortable driving to my hair appointment. Um, I just felt it was something off of my vision and I was just had like a slight, a slight headache. So went for my appointment, came back um, and she asked me, I remember I was, we were getting dressed and she asked me, was I OK? And I said, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm fine. She was like, you know, your face is just a little off. And uh, so we just proceed to go through the day. I'm thinking that maybe I'm just fatigued. And um, typically I do a lot, you know, a lot of the driving because I like to drive. And it was weird. I just didn't feel comfortable driving. So she drove to the, um, to our alma mater, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson, uh, for where we had our engagement shoot. And, Let um, me ask you one thing, because I know whenever I drive and Troy is in the driver's seat, for me, it's never a great experience because um, he likes to drive so much. He likes to tell me how to drive. Um, was he a good passenger, Rachel? Yeah. So he, because of what was going on, he was sleeping the whole time. So Wow. He must have been scared to death. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the heck? You're supposed to be excited. We're getting married. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I remember I was... I was asleep, yeah, though, though, pretty much the whole time. But I think with, with us, we, we kind of critique each other's driving now. Whoever's driving kind of had the, the passenger kind of has something to say, no matter who it is. So we go, <laughs> it's we, nice. We go back Good at two way street. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we were on our way to the, the shoot and it just things just got progressively weird. I couldn't make out. I can make out that there was a car in front of us, but I couldn't make out what kind of car it was. I can only tell the color and then the license plate color. So I couldn't really see anything um, as normal. Uh, mm -hmm. And then we got to the school, met with our photographer, and I knew something was off when she asked us to do a little bit of running around and jumping, and I couldn't do it um, just because I felt vertigo-like symptoms. I just felt dizzy and just a little off. So afterwards um what it was, it was really a hospital right down the street from school and she asked me did I want to go and I said no let's just go home I'll get something to eat and I'll go to sleep and if I wake up then we can go um, are you so, someone who doesn't normally like to go to the doctors or is this um, odd behavior before, for you 
Uh, no, I t- before I, I didn't like to go to the doctor um, or I tried to avoid it as much as I could. But at this point, I had knew something was off. I've been complaining about different symptoms for a few weeks. It was like vertigo oh, wow. or like tingling in my leg or my foot. Um, so I can kind of backtrack my story um, in reverse to kind of see where things kind of started. So it started before June 5th, but that's just when I realized at that point something needed to happen. Um, so we ordered food. I think I took two bites maybe, and then I went to sleep and I woke up. I had a dream. Uh, like I said in the book, I had a dream uh, where a figure came to me and asked me that I trust it. And I said, absolutely. And then I said, OK, well, we have to go. I, I instantly tapped her and I said, hey, we ha- we have to go. Um, and she said to the hospital. So and I said, yes. Yeah. So she jumped up and we were off to the hospital. Wow. Do you remember Which all this or has a lot of this been told to you? Uh, no, I I remember I remember the day pretty pretty vividly. Um, so I remember a lot of it, even down to while she was getting ready, I pretty much scaled the side of the house to get to you know use the side of the house as leverage to get to the car, so she didn't have to like like help me out, so I wouldn't slow her down. So I went to the car first, but I remember it like it was yesterday. Mm, yeah, me too. But I know a lot of survivors don't like they lose big chunks of time. And for me, I remember, I remember every detail of what was happening to me. I had no concept of that I'm going to the CAT scan or that I'm getting an MRI, like all that stuff. No concept. But like, I remember kind of like you, I didn't have a figure say, do you trust me? But I had that moment where I felt like a supreme peace. Like I just felt like so peaceful and happy. And I was like, oh, this is what dying feels like. Like, I'm dying. Oh, that's good. And I was just kind of happy about it. But then um, they let my husband into the room, which for me, it was during COVID the first time around when no one was allowed in the hospital unless you were dying. Um, So they actually let him in. And it was me seeing his face where I was like, oh, Troy, I love him so much. I can't go. Like, I have to stay for him. And it was just one of those like weird moments that I think some of us survivors remember so vividly and others were knocked out and they don't remember that stuff. Yeah, I remember um yeah, they when we got there they instantly uh you know, I remember a detail, you know, all the details. They they immediately I'm thinking that I'm going to be in the emergency room for hours, you know, but it's, they took me back immediately and I the moment I knew something was wrong was when the nurse said she was going to run an IV and um, I asked her, I'm like, okay, when are you going to run this IV? And she was like, it's already done. And I didn't feel it in my arm. Mm-hmm. So I knew something was wrong. And they immediately took me back for a chest X-ray and a CAT scan. Mm. And then was it a lot of lag time or did they keep you kind of informed as to this is what's happening? This is what we saw. That is, I don't know how much time passed between, I know they took, put us in a room and then I remember the doctor coming in with, with news, but I don't remember about how long that was because I didn't really have like concept of time at that point. I just knew what was going on. Yeah, me neither. It was just kind of like, I'm here. I know I'm being cared for, so I'm going to rest right now. If you or someone you know is struggling to recover after brain injury like a stroke, Take a free online assessment at modusnova.com forward slash making headway to see if their robots can help boost your recovery. If you are struggling with stroke recovery, take the free online assessment at modusnova.com forward slash making headway to learn if Modus can help you recover. And a quick shout out to our sponsor, Headache Nutritionist. Be sure to check her out at www.headachenutritionist.com. Generous sponsors like Susanna and donations are what keep us on air. Thank you. Rachel, were you allowed to be there through all of this? Yeah, I was there. This was pre-COVID, so everything was still running as normal. So, yeah, I was there the whole time. That must have been terrifying. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, I think for me, 
Um, once we got to the hospital, even when we got to the hospital, I was like, okay. Um, I wasn't too panicky yet, but I think when I first started to panic was the ER doctor was asking Ty what his symptoms were. And I feel like he was kind of downplaying it. Um, Mm -hmm. so then the doctor asked me what I noticed and I was explaining everything and he kind of just like made this face like, oh, okay. And just the energy I could just tell like, okay, this is something serious. And then he went to the CAT scan and even with that, I'm like, okay, he needs a CAT scan. Like something's not normal. And then, um, when the doctor came back with the the CAT scan results, his whole demeanor was just like, I knew he was about to say something serious and he did. Mm -hmm. So what did he tell you? Yeah. His words were, um, we had we found a mass a mass on your brain and you know that was just like whoa um you know but in that moment i had to you know i knew me rachel had never really seen me sick outside of you know a common cold or anything like that so in that moment i knew i had to you know be as strong as i could because i was just in a state where i, I felt fine so you know he said he wanted to run MRI um, to get a better look at things. So um, I I um, reached out. What did I say? Called my mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, told her to call my mom, and uh, my mom didn't answer. Told her to call my brother. My brother didn't answer, and then I had her call my dad because this was about two two o'clock in the morning or so two two thirty in the morning or or so. So I figured you know it would be tough to get them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think some time had passed before I even got an MRI because my mom, my family was there and I remember them being a little bit anxious as far as why haven't you taken them for MRI yet? Um, so some time had passed in between getting the news of, we found a mass on your brain and me getting an MRI. Mm -hmm. And mass on the brain. I mean, when you're just left with that, did you find your guys, did you feel yourself like swirling or were you just kind of more in a place of, okay, I'm calm. I'm going to take what comes, find out what happened. Because I feel like if me being a nurse, if someone told me my husband has a mass on the brain, I think I would have gone to a scary place. I think for for me, knowing, um, for me, I, I was I I was pretty, pretty calm. Like, hey, we, you know, we have to see what, what's going on. Um to see the exact extent of um, what what is going on, because as I mentioned, um, my brother my brother has epilepsy, so we've kind of been through scans. I've I've seen scans and uh, before, uh, so I I try to stay as calm as possible, and you know try to keep her as calm as possible. But I'm sure it's different, you know, uh, totally different from the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't calm at all. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, <laughs> like, I think I would have been unhinged. The, yeah, the second the doctor said it, I just, I, my heart just dropped. Mm. It was, yeah, definitely a feeling that I never experienced before. And hopefully, and we'll never have to experience again. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, and that's the thing that's so weird. Like, when it was happening to me, I was so calm. Like, none of my nursing knowledge kicked in. It was just kind of like, take it second by second. Like, oh, I'm my brain is bleeding. Oh, that's not a big deal. And I was kind of like so nonchalant. It was almost like like God or whatever power that's out there was like kind of keeping me calm because if I freaked out, my blood pressure would have gone up and I would have killed myself. Like, my brain would have bled too much. Um So it's just kind of, it's weird to me. Like I'm always interested in hearing people's perspectives of those times because a lot of us are somehow calm. And then some of us have those like near-death experiences where you're faced with something, something on the other side or, you know, or it's a hallucination. I don't know what it is. Um, But it's just always interesting to hear other people talk about it because we all seem to share a commonality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say I was as calm... You know, even my mom, when she she came in and she said, you you know, she told me you were just as relaxed and, and as calm as, as ever, you know, um, 
which to be in that situation, uh, I do find, you know, surprising, but I never felt in danger for, for some reason, even uh, through throughout the, the journey. So that like, I was in the hospital for about a week um, where they administered a steroid. So they did the MRI and the MRI came back with as uh, they found it, it wasn't a mass. They found what was called a cavernous malformation in the the spot that they saw was that it had uh it had hemorrhage so i they deemed it a hemorrhagic stroke um from a cavernous angioma cavernous malformation so that's an abnormal cluster of blood vessels and um the the cats or the mri showed a few spots uh but the one that bled was the one at my brainstem and cerebellum um so my symptoms were that's why that would explain the the vertigo and division um issue the vertigo like symptoms division issues so they say that when you have a brainstem bleed it isn't as i guess like a it isn't as much of a hit at first like a, a left hemisphere right hemisphere because mm-hmm. um you know i guess it has more room the blood has more room to operate so it takes a little bit longer for the effects to kick in. So, um, so yeah, at the, at the brainstem, yeah, it had the ability to affect my heart rate, my breathing and all kinds of different things. But fortunately it had just impacted, um, at that point, my vision and my balance and coordination. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was in the hospital for a week and then, um, it came a time where, <laughs> Her, the, the doctors kept saying discharge, discharge, um, you know, after ruling out surgery, which was, you know, a blessing to, for me, a relief. Um, Wait, does that to, mean you still have those other spots? They never had to take Yeah, so I anything? still have, I, yeah, I still have. So with cavernous angiomas, they only monitor really the ones that, that bleed because not all of them cause issues. Um, so they monitor the ones that, uh, that, that do bleed. So I've been through numerous MRIs to make sure that it shrunk back to a normal size. Um, and because of my age, I was just 29 at, at that time, they, they deemed that it was safer for, to, to leave it as opposed to, uh, surgically remove it, which would, could have caused permanent, uh, deficits with impact with brain stem surgery. Mm. Yeah, so I guess that's the best type of cavernous malformation to have. I don't know if there is a good type, but at least you didn't yeah, have to Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're ch- I would say so. Um, I mean, I think I, I, I was just against surgery once they mentioned that it could cause long-term deficits as opposed to um, the chances that they gave me of, I believe it was 70, 30, you know, of it not happening again. So I was willing to go with those odds of it not bleeding again. I just felt comfortable. The next thing was uh, that was gamma knife radiation, which just changed the odds 10% to 80-20. And the only 100% way of not having a re-bleed was surgical intervention. And that could have caused, you know, permanent deficits with with vision hearing or things like that so that was a risk that I wasn't willing to take yeah so you must have ongoing um, monitoring of that or is it uh yeah so um what I was going when I first got out the hospital I was going about every three months every once a quarter so four times a year for an MRI and then they changed it to semi-annual to now uh once once every few years uh because okay. it's been pretty stable okay. um so i see a neurologist um and i check in with my neurologist annually but i don't have to have mris as frequent anymore that's awesome yeah because they're so loud <laughs> i mean yeah. at least it's not radiation yeah. like a cat scan but they are so incredibly loud <laughs> Yeah, they, I remember the first one. So the first one, I just, like I said, I was in a place, I didn't really hear anything. I think I fell asleep. 
um, while I was in, in the tube. I remember like faintly hearing like knocks and bangs of the machine. But when I went for my second everyone, it was quite the experience. It just sounded like somebody has a jackhammer on the outside of the tube, just clicks and bangs for 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. It makes me want to see like the inside of the machine. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever been up to um, Boston, but there's Boston Museum of Science has like, it shows how an escalator works where it's just all open on mm -hmm. the side and you can see how it works. And I just, I want to see that on an MRI. Like, I want to see like, what is it? Are there little guys in there like hammering away? Like what makes all that noise? <laughs> so many clicks and, and bangs but uh yeah so i think after that week's stay in the hospital it was time to figure something they were ready to discharge me but i wasn't in shape to go home because my condition kind of i was able to like physically walk into the hospital though off balance but by the time i was set to leave i could barely see i could i couldn't even stand up without a walker or some sort of assistance so um so in my mind, I knew I wasn't ready to go home. But when you hear discharge and go through something like that, it's like, I just want to go home. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> her, her, my mom were debating on who was going to be the bearer of bad news to say I had to go to inpatient rehab. Who had you do it? Not me. Not you. <laughs> You're like, I'm not his wife yet. We're only engaged. I don't have to do this. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that must have been so <laughs> tough, though, too. Like, how how long were you away, Tameek, before you got home? I was out of the house for about a month. So that happened oh. June 5th, and I didn't get home until July 4th, 3rd, mm. like the 3rd of July. So I was out of the house for, for about a month. Mm. Um, so one week in, in the hospital and then three weeks in the acute rehab facility, essentially relearning how to walk, talk, and anything you can imagine. Mm, you must have had pretty extensive outpatient therapy too when you got home. Um, so after, so I stayed there for the three weeks and then I got home and I had therapy three times, three sessions. So I had occupational, physical, and speech, which were all one hour sessions. And I had that three times a week, I believe, to start. Jeez, yeah, that's a lot. It's like a full-time job. Yeah, it felt like a full-time job. I was tired after those three hours. Isn't it amazing? Like, even now, I'm still in some outpatient therapy, and I'm like, like, especially occupational therapy, it's kind of fun, at least what they do with me. And, like, I'll have, do you remember tangrams from school? Like, they're like little triangles, and you have to, like, order them to make a picture. Like, they show you a picture, and then you have to take the triangles and make the picture with them. Am I way yeah. older than you guys? <laughs> no, no. We used to have to do that anyway. And that's what I do when I go to occupational therapy. That's one of the things. But doing that, and then she has me talking the whole time about my career and a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but it exhausts me. Like, I come home and I have to take a nap. And I'm like, all I did was do freaking tangrams. Like, that shouldn't be so tiring. But it is. It's hard work. It is. It is. Even, what was that, <clears throat> today, uh, I took out the trash. I said, I went, she asked me, what was I doing? I said, or that was yesterday. I took out the trash and I said, okay, I'm tired now. Because <laughs> we live on the third floor. So I went all the way down and took the trash outside, which, you know, I don't mind doing. But yeah, going up and down the steps, it just on certain days. Some days it'll it'll just wear me out. And I know our our uh, temperature suddenly dropped. We were, you know, still in the 60s last week, and then we dropped to 40s and 30s, and my body can, you know, feel the change in, in temperature. So hmm. it takes me a lot longer to, you know, do things because my body still, like, tightens up um, in the cold. Oh, so um, were you left side affected? Is that... Uh, yeah, so it was interesting because it was in the brainstem, the right side of my face was affected and then the left side of my body was affected. Mm. I'm so my bleed was right near my brainstem too and I had the same type of thing. Like, you know, people will be like, "Oh, she must be faking because she has some right side symptoms and some left side." And it's like, "No, no, look at the anatomy. That's where the things cross between the brain." Like it makes sense that right. both sides can get a little mixed up. But it must be so frustrating because I think you guys are both athletes, right? Like, 
and to not be able to do the stairs that that would be a shock i feel like yeah yeah it was kind of a shock because i mean the la one of the last things i did before going into the hospital was play basketball so it kind of you know and we talked about this the other day i'm just trying to make peace with I've, we haven't played. I graduated in 2015. She graduated in 2016, and it was it was fun. Um, but you know, it's kind of I felt like I grew it some. I would just do it just as a way to stay in shape. Um, so it's a little easier to put it down. But just that athletic bone in your body is like, well, I want to play, and it's just because mm -hmm. I can't. It's, it's my brain knowing that I can't do it. Or I don't want to do it now that it's like, hey, well, we want to play now. I'm like, no, we don't. Do you think that um, athlete mentality helped you guys get through rehab? Or was it more of a hindrance? Or not so black and white? Um, I think it has its pros and its cons, at least at least going through it. Um, because the pro the you know the pros is that my my athletic mind kicked in and it said hey we got to attack this um but then your mind you start to set lofty goals um that hey i want to get this back or i want to be here by this time frame where you know it might be a little bit out of range so it can cause some frustration but for the most part it was positive because it helped me just understand that i had work to do mm -hmm. Yeah, I think athletes have that innate sense of being able to push the boundary. Um, I'm married to an athlete, too, and I actually met him because he was injured and I had to rehab his injury. Um, I used to do athletic training. And um, like I feel like athletes have a different mindset when it comes to what your body can do. Like For me, I wimp out a lot sooner. Because I'm like, no, like a person was not meant to run that fast. I run as fast as I can run. But Troy, he is out to beat someone like he is out to get it. Um, and I feel like that mentality could be both helpful and harmful, like you just said, in your rehab. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it can be. And I'm sure, you know, I would say for, you know, for somebody, well, me going through it, I'm sure it's a different perspective for, for Rachel not, not going through it. Um, but I'm sure the, the, my mind saying, Hey, I want to push the envelope was kind of caused some worry. Cause for, for her, I'm, I'm sure, because for me, I'm like, Hey, this is what I have to do. And I'm sure for her, it was a, a different, a different light. I'm probably, I'm sure she did, you didn't look at it from the athletic mindset. <laughs> I mean, I guess in a way I did because me, well, I didn't have a brain injury, but I had to go through rehab myself um, back when I was in school. So I also have that mindset of, you know, okay, something happened. We have to rehab to work through it. So I feel like in that way, I do see how, you know, the athletic mindset was helpful. Mm -hmm. um, but I think outside of the rehab and just, you know, putting it on the whole situation itself. Um, having that athletic mindset of, oh, just push through it, push through it. Um, I think that's part of why it took us so long to get to the hospital, because like he said, he, before June 5th, he'd been experiencing minor symptoms, not that they were minor, but, you know, in our eyes, oh, it's just something, you know, little, just push through it, it'll go away because that's what we're used to, um, you know, as athletes. So I feel like in that regard, having that mindset um, made things probably a little difficult. Mm. And how, I mean, Rachel, like this, you know, you have, you're engaged to a guy who's athletic and able to do everything he wants to do. And then a month later, you're having to take care of him at home. Um, how was that for you? Um, it was hard. Of, well, the taking care of him part, that was easy. Um, because, you know, he's my person. So, of course, I'm going to take care of him no matter what. Um, mm. But, you know, just watching him not be able to be independent, you know, making sure that he's getting up and down the stairs okay and if he's standing up you know making sure he's not losing his balance and 
making sure, you know, sitting and standing back up after using the bathroom and things like that. Um, you know, just the day to the day to day things that we take for granted. Mm. Um, yeah. It's a whole different him, level you know, of intimacy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be a part of things you never got to be a part of before or never <laughs> thought you would need to be a part of. Are you finding it hard to recover at home after a stroke? Modus Nova makes robotic devices to help folks with a brain injury regain the use of their affected limbs. Recovery after stroke takes thousands of hours of work that isn't all covered in outpatient therapy. Whether you're 10 days or 10 years post-stroke, recovery is still possible. You just need many hours of rehab to make that happen. The Modus hand or foot are AI-powered robotic exoskeletons that help users do exercises through the playing of video games, similar to the way an occupational or physical therapist might work with your limb. Recovery after stroke is hard because stroke survivors don't get enough hours of rehab to regain function. Find out if Modus Nova can help you by taking their free online assessment at modusnova.com slash making headway. Modus Nova helps survivors with little or no movement get moving again. They help you get in the repetitions you need to form new neural pathways. Through playing video games, the robotic hand and foot can assist with limb movements to provide a personalized exercise experience. If this sounds like something you want to try, visit modusnova.com slash making headway to learn more. Make sure to use special code making headway when you sign up and get a month free with the 30 day challenge. Visit modusnova.com slash making headway to get started. That's M O T U S N O V A.com slash making headway. I just, I know like for Troy and I, um, you know, it's, it's, it's still so fresh and so new that it's hard for us to even talk about or put words to, hence why I'm not having my own husband on the show talking about our relationship. Um, but just, you know, things for the brain injury survivor, like we kind of have, like it happens very quickly, but at the same time, you kind of have that peace that kind of gets you through it and um, you try not to freak out. But for the other person, like literally, and I don't know if Tamik, you had this, but a lot of my effects were cognitive and personality wise. Um, you know, like I went from being a very reserved kind of dignified person to someone who would tell anybody and everybody dirty laundry. Like I just became a different person. And like for me, it was hard because it was me. But for Troy, it was like all of a sudden he's married to a different person. Um, and he didn't get that period of peace. Like he got to freak out from the moment it happened and is probably still freaking out. Like what the hell happened? Um, so I, I don't know. It just, it really changed the dynamic in our relationship that, and like him having to play the caregiver role and kind of be like my dad, like, you know, when I started spending money on the credit card that I shouldn't have been doing him having to take away my phone, him having to kind of limit and be like, hey, babe, like you are going to crash if you keep doing as much as you're doing. You have to stop. Um, that was just very, very different for us and nothing that I'd ever experienced before. Um, and it's it, it's I don't know what the right word for it is. It, it's just rough getting through it all. Yeah, I would say for, for me, so I had I had a lot more patience, I would say, prior to so. Um, I was like very patient um, and I found myself like, you know, just being more, you know, trying to figure out what was actually going on. I found myself like more irritable and in in different different aspects, because for one, I just felt different. Like, you know, I could take out the I could do the laundry, take out the trash and I knew my limits. But I think, you know, what what it was for me was trying to overcompensate um for the lack of thing, you know, the lack for my deficit. So then I just tried to stay so busy that it created, you know, 
I won't say tension, but it made it harder for her to keep up with with me because I, you know, I just wanted I was like a pinball in a pinball machine, just mm-hmm. wanting to do everything to stay busy. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say that was that was tough. And I, you know, this year I just realized that I you just came to understanding how to slow myself down and that I was kind of putting her at a disadvantage because I wouldn't necessarily speak on every exact thing that I was feeling, but because at first I wasn't, I wasn't sure. And then mm-hmm. for me, it's, it's the mental thing. And we've been talking about it a lot, like recently. So um, I think having mental changes where it's more, you're more in tune with your emotions. Like I'm, I was more, you know, you see a, mo- a movie scene and I'm like, okay, well, that was a sad movie scene. But now it's like, uh, I'm, I'm blinking like, who's cutting onions in here now? Like movie scene, like this, I, I, this wasn't me, but I understand, you know, I come to grips that this is the, the new me, but also, you know, I knew it was tough for her. And what I tried to do was just communicate overly communicate in a sense so she knows how I'm feeling and knows how to like help and adjust if, if need be hmm. how was that but it is a weird okay. space it is it's really strange and like I same thing like I find like even stupid commercials and I don't even really pay attention to the commercials but it's like I hear the tone in it go serious and then I start getting choked up and I'm like I wasn't even watching the tv like why am I crying <laughs> it's just ridiculous and like um, like sharing emotions, I try to keep Troy very abreast as to where I'm at and what I'm doing, but it almost feels like the focus in our relationship has become more selfish because I'm constantly mm-hmm. thinking about how can I rehab? What am I feeling? What am I thinking? What do I need right now? Should I be resting? Um, and it's so like me, me, me focused. And that's, that's not me. And it, if I don't know, like, I don't think Troy's resentful or feels like I'm neglectful, but I feel like I am a little bit because it's all about me all the time. Yeah, no, I understand that definitely where it becomes I have this therapy, I got to do this and how do I get better? And it's like, wait, I'm in I'm married. So I know I have to find a balance of being able to to you know take care of myself and figure out what I need, but also figure out what she needs as well. And I know mm-hmm. you were going to go into her side of things. Um, yeah, I think he definitely communicates um better as far as that, and I don't really think that you're like selfish I don't think he's selfish as far as you know that mindset of me 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 um you know I understand he needs to do what he needs to do to get better so if you know going to therapy or resting whatever it is um I feel like I you know just give him whatever space he needs to mm-hmm. take care of himself and bounce back you know whatever he needs I feel like I don't really give too much pushback or anything like that yeah, Troy definitely doesn't either, but it's it's weird to me because I'm not I'm not a me me person. Yeah, I think you know I, it's the same for me where it's you know it's like hey I I've been able to contain. I think for me it was different for like being you know get, preparing to be married and take care of a household and then this happens and it's like. Okay, well, um, I know this was, isn't what either one of us signed up for, but so sometimes you feel guilty. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, it's a number of different things. And what I figured out was that I was just, I was saying, I was, even to this day, I would say I was rushing my process, even though I thought I was taking my time, um, mm-hmm. you know, or I just focused so much on the physical that I just didn't even think about how to mentally, you know, heal myself and, I found myself towards the end of the year just really reflecting on what actually like happened. Like, wow, you know, it was very, you know, that was a very serious situation as I, you know, I write in my book from a perspective, but and now I look at it and I'm like, wow, you know, that was, 
I see it from the outside in now as opposed to just seeing it through my lenses. So now I have an understanding of how everybody else was seeing it and feeling. And it's like, wow, that was serious. So then it's you kind of start thinking sometimes like, hey, well, I know she didn't sign up for this. So, yeah, I can't shift it to just me, 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 me. So, you know, then you're at conflict with yourself, um, you know, or trying to hide things to not you know, have to express them where, you know, it's like, hey, I'm still trying to take care of you as well. So um, but I found out what was best was to just for me was to just communicate, because like I said, I felt like if I didn't give her that information, she wouldn't know how to necessarily help. True. Awareness is a big piece of it. Like if you don't know, you can't respond to it. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, because without me, I would find myself, you know, upset or, you know, like, hey, I need this. And I didn't express like that. This is what I needed. Like, hey, I just needed a hug or something like that. And, you know, it was like, well, how do I know to give you a hug if, you know, you aren't expressing these things that you, you might need? So um, I would say, you know, it, it caused a little, I would say us to be on a few separate pages at one point, but, um, you know, nothing, nothing too major. Um, but you're just reading two separate pages and it was like, okay, we have to come together and figure out to get on the same page through, through this. And I think, you know, for us brain injury people and caregivers, like, I feel like we all need like a special medal or something. (laughs) Like we've had to figure out so much, um, you know, anyone that's gone through chronic illness with a loved one, um, you really, it tries your communication. Like you said, like you really have to have that open communication and back and forth. But a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with at such a young age is stuff that other couples don't deal with until they're in their 70s or 80s. And by that point, they may have a care team helping them, you know, because they're not caring for themselves anymore or those sorts of things. Like, we're learning all this at such a long, young age. Like, I really think we need some sort of like metal, like, haha, we did it early and we're surviving and we're going to get even better than everyone. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, Cause yeah, I, I think before, before being married, like we really lived um, in sickness and in health, um, you know, before even having to say the vows and it's like, yeah, you know, who could imagine that, 20 in your 20s, you'll be experiencing something like this. You know, you go from getting engaged and just living life to boom, this this event happens. And it's like, you know, life is is totally, you know, different. But it but it's what what you make of it, you know, and um, that's that's what I'm learning is just, hey, I'm slowing down. I'm appreciative for what happened because it does slow me down and give me a different perspective on just to enjoy you know, just the small things in life, like being able to tie my shoes, um, brush my teeth and things like that, which you, you take for granted, just getting up, being able to stand up out of bed um, when I couldn't do that for a month. It almost feels like for those of us that have had, I don't, I hate saying near death experience because I don't know if I was actually dying, but whatever that, like you seeing that figure and knowing to trust it and like me feeling that peace, it almost feels like those of us that have had those types of experiences that our reward for that is that we get so much insight into life and are able to turn our lives into something so much more fulfilling. Cause I, you know, there's so much that I, since my brain injury that like, I would have never had a podcast before my brain injury. I was nowhere near confident enough to do something like that. Um, or, you know, I wouldn't look at the simple joys of life as being what it's all about. You know, I'd be pushing to get more and keeping my hustle going and trying to make more money and blah, blah, blah. But that's not what it's all about. So it's kind of like, like we're, we're given the second chance of life to live a better life. Yeah, I agree. That That's how I looked at it. Um, even in the book, I talk about that, that pre-stroke, I lived a, like a selfish life. Um, and like selfish, I don't mean just, just for like myself, me, 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 but it was, you know, go to school, get a career, 
you know, and then or go to school, get educated and get a career and things like that. It was about money and um, posts. It was more so about what can I do to, you know, leave an impact. And that's how the book came about. Like you said, I would I would have never thought to become an author or write a book pre pre stroke. So um, and then it just gave me an appreciation of, of people, you know, just having Rachel there, you know, every day. For, for even though she worked, she had to go to work and work was about an hour away from where the hospital was. So she would get up, watch me in a few therapy sessions, help well, help me get ready, then watch me in sessions and then get ready to go to work herself and then come back and then sleep in a recliner, not even oh. a bed, sleep in a recliner for about a month so Rachel um, is your spine still chair shaped that sounds awful (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was um it wasn't comfortable but you know I had to do what I had to do yeah sorry Tamik I didn't mean to cut I was willing to share my little little twin hospital bed um, (laughs) that probably would have been worse (laughs) yeah we tried it. It worked for a little bit, but then I had to go. Yeah. <laughs> I had a twin uh, bed for a very to... short time in college, and my husband is 6'4 or 6'3. I'm 5'2. So even though I'm way smaller than him, a twin bed does not work. <laughs> oh, no. Those college bed, those college twins are, are oh, tiny. <laughs> they're awful. They're uh-huh. <laughs> But uh, yeah, just having her there every day, you know, just kind of helped me. Um, and it just shows you who's your, your your person because, you know, you have a special person who's willing to stick with you through, through um, you know, that the situation and then not only stick with you through the situation, but thereafter and, you know, are there to experience the, the changes with you, you know, and support you. So, you know, it takes a lot because it's not something that you could expect or I'm sure that she imagined signing up for. But, you know, here we are today. It sounds like it's made you it strengthened your relationship rather than torn it down because it, it really could go either way. It's 50 50. You either succeed or you don't. Yeah. Sounds like yeah, yeah. Um, I would say it definitely, you know, strengthened, strengthened our we had a strong relationship. Um, but I would say definitely going through something like that definitely strengthened it. It helped you helps to show what what's truly important in mm-hmm. life and in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Did you have any major yeah. takeaways, Rachel? Well, I was just gonna say I feel like our relationship um it's always been in a good place. I feel like it's always been strong. Um I just feel like after the stroke it just changed our perspectives on you know, our relationship and what life is about. Um, and, you know, it, I feel like it taught us that they can be taken away from you at any second, no matter how old you are, how young you are. It doesn't matter. You know, anything can happen to anyone at any time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like, you know, our perspectives definitely changed in that regard. Did it make you a little more... um What's the right word? Not hovering. Well, I guess maybe like a helicopter wife. Did it make you a little more scared to see him go away for work for the day? Or did it affect you in any way like that? Um, no, I feel like once he, you know, was at a good spot in rehab and, you know, he was starting to get better noticeably. Um, I feel like I definitely felt more comfortable, but there have definitely been times when I get a little paranoid like I remember there was one time um I was at work and he wasn't around his phone so he wasn't like answering any texts from me or his mom and we both got a little scared um so it's been a few moments of like you know paranoia and kind of getting in my own head um but no whenever he like would go out to work or like went out um I don't feel like I was really hovering. Mm. No, that's, that was gonna say that was the the yeah. only situation I know. Uh, yeah, when I wasn't there, my phone, and I actually think I was doing 
um, some kind of movement therapy and I didn't have my phone. Um, and my mom was trying to call and, uh, I didn't answer anybody. So I think that was the one time, the only the one time. Um, but as I got better, I felt like everybody felt comfortable with, you know, um, like they can trust you again on your own. Yeah. 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 Um, I know it's tricky because it's kind of like it's invincible. So you don't know is invisible. So you don't know if or, you know, if anything is, is happening. So, you know, you just it's really based on me telling them what was going on. Uh, but I felt like I communicated enough to allow them to feel comfortable. Like, hey, uh, you know, my arm hurts today or, you know, if I kept saying, no, I'm only fine, I think they would have tried to pry, like, to see what was really going on. But I think I did a good enough job keeping them in the loop to not allow them to worry. Mm. I think, yeah, for me, I never had really um, ventured into myself before. Um, it's like I'd never, I'd always had, like, pieces in my mind where I'm like, nope, that's scary. Let's keep that locked up in a box. Like, it can't hurt me if I keep it locked up there. But afterwards, when you have your stroke, like you don't have that energy and you have to face your fears and you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and comfortable trying to figure out what it is you need. Like, I don't I know myself so much better now than I ever have any other time in my life, because like you said, you have to at every moment communicate what's going on because no one else can see it. Exactly. Yeah, I would say, you know, in the last two years have been, though I've been myself, I truly feel like my authentic self now. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you said, I just truly know myself, know what I'm capable of, um, know when to, I think it showed me, I think, you know, it showed me what my limits are and it showed me to be, I'm in tune with my body, like, hey, I need to take a nap or I don't fight against what you know, what's going on now. It's, hey, I need to take a nap or I don't feel well today. I'm not going to push through it. So I think that's, you know, just truly being able to be yourself and, you know, just owning your situation and becoming one with yourself is is very key. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know, I was saving this little tidbit for you. Um, You were on Joe Borges' show recently. I think you Mm -hmm. got to meet him, right? Yeah, I was out in L.A., um... I went on a trip to LA and I told you I was coming out there and he actually came to to pick me up and we uh, did a did a show together and just hung out for the day. That's awesome. My husband actually listened to that and um, he's not a podcast guy. Like to him, like he doesn't do audio books. He'd rather read the hardcover where I'm like all audio all the time. Um, but he actually listened to that episode because I'm like, babe, you really need to listen to this one. Like the way they describe things really makes sense. And so... Um, one of the big he got a lot of takeaways from that show but one of the big ones was your idea of i don't remember what you called it we call it a zen room like having my own place where i can go away and mm-hmm. be emotional or do what i need to do um so i'm now that's where i'm recording from i have my own bedroom now in our house that's just for me <laughs> that i can go and shut the yeah. door and have my little meltdown by myself <laughs> Yeah, we call it we call it the Zen. We actually have a sign on the door. I can see it from here. We call it the Hawkins Zen Den. So nice. um, it started with her kind of being into um, yoga and astrology. And I wanted to create space for that. Um, and then it just trickled on to me. I found myself going in and doing yoga with her sometimes. Um, and then I just found it as a space to where I felt where I would feel overwhelmed. I would just go in there and... Um, you know, just be with myself uh, for for a bit of time, and she'll do the same thing. And it's you know, if I'm feeling off, I'll go in the room, try to leave it on the mat, and you know, come out. And um, I'm just with with myself. You know, you give yourself some some time, you time, uh, which yeah. we fail to do in the busyness of the world today. And it's funny. I mean, it's just um, you know, for me and Troy, it's just me and him and our dog. It's not like our house is overrun with all these people all over the place, but having that space where I can come and do yoga and I have my little diffuser and I have my little hippie thing set up around the room, um, you know, stuff that I didn't use in my normal decor is it's been a game changer really. So I appreciate you for having that, um, 
wherewithal and talking about it on that podcast. It really has helped us. I would, that's, I would credit her for, for that. Um, <laughs> Way to go, Rachel. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's been, you know, she was into the mindfulness and uh, the energy and things before I got into it. And um, I just kind of followed her lead with it. Some gave some resistance. Like, I don't need that. But I figured as, as more and more as I got into it, that it was, you know, very, very helpful um, and just very calming. Um, even today, like I went to go to our complex gym and it was busy. So I came back and I just went in our Zen room for, uh, about an hour and, you know, just spent time with myself before getting into the work day and stuff like that. It's so, yeah, it's so needed. And mindfulness is like one of those key buzzwords that I think everyone throws around. Um, and it's, it kind of falls on deaf ears to a lot of people, but it's really kind of the cornerstone of recovering from something like this. It is. And I think a lot of people, what they do is put a lot of exactly. So when you think of yoga, you, you don't think that you can just go do a, like, just go in and just get on your mat and do stretches. You know, you have to follow a flow and that's not the case. You know, it's just spending time with yourself, whether you need to stretch you, your body, letting you know what, what it needs, whether you need to stretch you, you know, I find myself sometimes just laying on the mat and I'll just kind of give myself like a, a head massage or like squeeze my temple or things like that. Or I might just need to go in there and light the candle or start the diffuser because my, for, to um, engage my sense of smell. So it's, you know, I think we try to define it too much and it's just as simple as being in tune with yourself yeah i think all the definitions make everyone feel like they're failing at mindfulness and you really i mean if you're thinking of mindfulness you're mindful like you can't really fail at it <laughs> it's a practice yeah our cat is trying to get in there now <laughs> <laughs> to that diffuser who knows what you're doing. Yeah. So tell me, um, you know, we're wrapping up now, but you are the author of the book, Becoming the Light. Um, can you tell us a little bit about it and where you see things going with that book? Um, so, so the book was just, it, it honestly started out as an Instagram poll with me asking people where they read my, where they interested in hearing my story. And almost everybody said yes. So, um, I felt like it was something, it was a therapeutic process for me to get uh, what was going on in, outside of my brain. So, um, so, um, <laughs> yeah, she, she tried to get in, um, get into the room. Um, but so the, the book was, um, you know, it, it was just my, just me telling my story. I felt that, you know, um, felt that like as a survivor, what we typically see is, um, the beginning and the end. We don't see the middle, the in-between. So I felt it was very important for me to, to, to detail my journey from beginning to end and tell the story from my perspective. So um, the story starts uh, on June 5th with the dream that I had, um, or it starts out with that the start of that day. And it just details my full journey through stroke recovery until, um, you know, it details the wedding and and all kinds of stuff and just gives my perspective on my and my tips on on how I feel, you know, you could get better. Um, it's just my tips. I know it, there's no one set way to do things. There's no one set way to recover. But mm -hmm. I feel that just telling my story gives people a reference point on what to look for and what they can try to do in their recovery. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it was just important for me. I felt that was my way of Get, of helping of using my second chance at life to to benefit not just not myself but to help others and i want to say too for anyone who has trouble reading um i know a lot of us have trouble reading post-stroke um it's a pretty small book um and the words are really big so you feel like you're flying because the words are big on the page so for me it's a lot easier to read than some of these other books i'm picking up and i'm like no no that's way too much on there so I appreciate that. Thanks for yeah, thinking about that. No problem. I uh, yeah, it took me. I, I read it in in two days. I, I, I it takes me a long time to read, um, as well. But I zoomed through. I think I read five chapters in one day, and then the five through ten, and or six through ten the next day. 
Um, and my plan is to to do an audio book, but um, I just don't want to, you know, overwork myself or overwhelm myself and then overwhelm her. Uh, right. <laughs> by doing too much. So, yeah, because it's not um, just it you was, doing it when you do something. <laughs> I've learned that too. Right. So it was, uh, you know, a joy to get this part of the project done to at least have a tangible book and become a published author. Um, but more importantly, it was good to just get my story out there in hopes that it helps as many people that have gone through this and felt like they haven't had anybody or no, don't have a starting reference point um, or only see the beginning and the end um, and hope that they want to get there and don't know how to do it. So that's what the the goal of this book was to just be a reference guide. And it's um, really, it, it's well written and to the point. Um, you know, you you have just the right amount of floweriness. Um, if you know what I mean, like just the right amount of pretty words, but you get to the point, you're not like chopping and being too, what's the right, I don't know what the right word is, but you're, you're good at just getting to the point And this is the nitty gritty that you need to know. Um, if that makes any sense. <laughs> no, it, it totally does. You don't want to fill it. I didn't want to fill it up with a bunch of information that isn't necessary. Um, I think with something like this, it was to be to the point um, and get the information about getting the information out there. So nice. Um, and this is to, part of a bigger um, group. Um, well, I don't know what you call it. To the T is a organization. I'm not sure what the right word um, is. But. So. Yeah, it's where we're we're building it into an organization. So um, it, it started uh, because both me and my brother's name begin with T. Um, and my brother was diagnosed with epilepsy at the age of four. So it kind of became a thing when he was four. Um, so 20 years ago now. Um, and, um, you know, it was just a play off of our names. And then I had a stroke and it was, hey, we can use this to kind of impact change um, within our com our respective communities and bring awareness to, you know, brain health and mindfulness and mental health. Um, and, you know, the hopes is, as I said, not to do too much, but the goal is to become a nonprofit and, you know, just impact the community the best that we can using our stories. That's awesome. And I know you guys are quite the power couple, whether you know it or not. Um, you've experienced a lot when you're young and you're just getting better and stronger because of it. Um, so I'm sure this show is going to resonate with a lot of people. Um, how could they find you guys? How can they reach out to you if they want to? Um. So for me, I'm, 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 I'm primarily on Instagram. Uh, so my Instagram, my handle is at 2TWO. T-H-E-T -E 2.0 um, and I'm on Facebook as well uh, which is my name Tamik is Tamik Amir Hawkins uh, T-Y-M-I-A-K I was going to say you're going to have to spell that one <laughs> yeah. and I also have a website uh, it's, it's uh, Hawkins. so T-Y-M-I-A-K H-A-W-K I-N-S Dot com and that'll the website has a free guide for survivors and caregivers um there you can order the book there and i plan on you know just releasing more information as i have the energy uh and do the research to just release more information uh for for people so that's where we can be be contacted um if you have any questions or just want to reach out and say hey that's awesome. Um, I've already, I posted a picture of your book yesterday and I've already had someone commenting, I didn't know he had a book. I'm going to go buy the book. So hopefully a lot of people do go buy the book. Um, we'll have the link in our show notes. Um, and we'll also have the website and the different ways to reach Tameek and Rachel. Um, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. It's kind of an awkward thing to talk about sometimes, your relationship in public. Um, but I really appreciate you guys for coming on and doing that. Uh, no problem. No problem at all. Um, thanks. For, thanks for having us. Um, it's definitely, you know, stepping out of comfort. You know, it, it is, you know, a little difficult to talk about. But, you know, my, my saying is a story needs to be told. So, you know, from a relationship perspective or individual perspective, just want to help as much as we can. I appreciate it. It really has been a help. 
Um, so I think that's a good way to wrap up the show. Um, this is Aaron signing out for Making Headway Podcast. See you next time. Hi, everyone. Making Headway Podcast is just a side project that I love. It's given me a lot of community, along with giving you guys community as well. And we really thank you for supporting me. If you'd like to do something extra, we would really appreciate it. There's a few ways you could help us out. Rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. Share us with friends, family, or anyone that you think might want to listen. Also, clicking on the links in our show notes for Amazon gives us just a small kickback, just enough to help pay those bills. If you wanted to do something more, which we would really appreciate, you can donate at www.makingheadwaypodcast.com. Lastly, we have a Patreon account as well. That's found at www.patreon.com slash makingheadwaypodcast. Anything you can do to support us really helps us out. Thank you so much. We really love you, listeners. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Making Headway Podcast. For more information and show notes, visit makingheadwaypodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review. Check us out at Making Headway Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and share with your friends. Catch you next time. All topics are intended to be used for educational and entertainment purposes only. The podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare provider for any issues or treatment considerations you may have. For our full legal terms, please see our website at makingheadwaypodcast.com. This podcast was recorded, mixed, and mastered with love at Stout Heart Studios. Sun rises across the ocean.